This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. Chapter 24, The Admittance Judith's screams brought Richard's mother hurrying down the hall. She did it, Richard. It's another of her witch tricks. She cut the quilts to pieces to frighten me, just as she made the doll to frighten Abigail. She made the doll that murdered your first wife, Richard. Remember that. Anne Tomlinson entered the room to find her son trying to quiet his distraught wife while she hurled invectives at Thorn. Look in the chest, Miss Anne. See what she's done to Abigail's quilts. And she made a sound like scissors to make me think I was going crazy. Miss Anne went to the chest and bent over the quilts, examining them fold by fold. Richard said, There's nothing wrong with the quilts, Mother. I've looked. His mother gave him a significant look. Then, putting her arm around Judith, she said kindly, You'd better come upstairs. Together they led her from the room. When Judith was quiet and drugged sleep upon her bed, Richard and his mother went back to the south bedroom and made a second and more thorough examination of the quilts. To the bottom of the pile they were found to be undamaged. Richard said, Judith worked herself into a state of hysteria over some fancied noise. Of course when she looked at the quilts she imagined she saw them cut. He told about the sound of the scissors, which Judith claimed to have heard before the chest was opened. His mother looked at him seriously. Who made the sound of scissors? He flushed defensively. If you mean Thorn, she's no ventriloquist. There's no denying, Richard. Someone is trying to frighten your wife. Mother, surely you are not turning against me. Against you, my son. If you can believe this of Thorn, then you must believe that I am capable of shielding someone guilty of criminal mischief. What do you think of me, mother? She looked into the troubled eyes of the best loved of all her children and said gravely, I think I blame myself, Richard, for not warning you. About what? About the haste of your second marriage. There is good reason, besides propriety, for not being in too great a hurry sometimes. There was no mention of Thorne's name, but because there was understanding between them, Richard said to his mother, You don't take seriously what Judith said about Abigail's death. Do you? No, I'm sure Thorne made that doll innocently, to amuse the children. But I think you should talk to her about what happened this afternoon. After all, she used to be with the carnival show. No doubt she learned strange tricks with her voice as well as her hands. It was late that night before he found a chance to talk with Thorne. There was another visit from the doctor, and Richard spent most of the evening by his wife's bedside. Dr. Caxton pronounced Judith's condition critical. It was his belief there was something preying upon her mind. Unless she got relief, she was heading for a mental collapse. Only the old doctor put it more bluntly. You know, she could be going bugs, Richard. But Richard had his own theory, as yet unacknowledged, regarding Judith's state.
When he finally came downstairs, he found Thorne sitting by the kitchen fire, her head between her hands like a weary little old woman. Much of the work had devolved upon her this evening. How's Judith? She looked up quickly. He told her what the doctor had said. Does she still blame me? He sat down heavily in the nearest chair and spread his hands to the fire. I don't think she knows what she's saying. What does she mean by saying the doll murdered Abigail? Abigail had a weak heart and a superstitious fear of the doll. I suppose if she had suddenly seen it, the shock might have been fatal. She didn't see it. The doll was never found. Was it? He was silent, considering which course to take. And then he decided to be frank with her. The night Abigail died, she claimed to have found the doll on her pillow with a tight string tied round its neck. I see. And everyone thinks I put it there? Certainly not. No one knows about it except Judith and me. Judith thinks I put it there. What Judith thinks is beside the point. What do you think? I think Abigail imagined the whole thing. At least, that's what I thought at the time. And what do you think now? It's possible that one of the children had it in his mother's room, or something. He sounded vague. What made you change your mind? The doll was found the night Lucius and Otis Hughes slept in the south room. He told her everything then, and he watched her keenly while he talked. If there was any unacknowledged doubt of her innocence in his mind, it was expelled once and forever. It was impossible to believe that she had guilty knowledge of what he was telling her. When he had finished, she said, I swear to you, Richard, I don't know how the dog got there. But if Abigail saw it, she probably died believing that I murdered her. They were both silent as this thought, in all its significance, gripped them. Then she asked, Did Lucius think it was her hand? He saw at the window? Richard said. Lucius has always inclined to a belief in such things. What do you think? I think Lucius had a nightmare. But if Abigail's spirit is roaming this house, I don't intend to let her intimidate me. There was a sound in the covered passage. For a moment, both Richard and Thorne felt a thrill of terror. Then they realized that one of Millie's traps must have caught a rat. Thorne said, It's not you she's trying to intimidate. It's me. She's still trying to drive me away. Just as she did while living. And that's what seems so strange. What's strange? That Abigail should mind about me. When it was Judith you married. But she knows it is you I love. Yes, I suppose she does. They both spoke so matter-of-factly that they experienced a shock when they realized what they had said. Their eyes met gravely in silence while that clear statement of truth sank in. Then Thorne asked curiously, What do you mean by saying that you love me, Richard? You know very well what I mean. You are dearer to me than anything else in life. He spoke gruffly, almost angrily, as though in protest that he could use nothing but words to tell her. Abigail knew it before I did. That's why she was jealous. But you weren't to blame. I never loved Abigail. She asked in that same puzzled tone. Why did you marry Judith? He colored violently, as though surprised in transgression. 
It was one of those things that happened sometimes. But it wasn't love. I've never loved anyone but you. She sighed, and her sigh was weighted with sadness, as though she were years older than he. A lump swelled in his throat. He spoke thickly. Thorn, you... What I heard this afternoon about you and Will, it isn't true, is it? It's true that he asked Miss Anne for me. But you haven't... I'll do whatever. Miss Anne thinks best. Good heavens, you can't... I'll have to marry someone, Richard. If I stay here... Not for years and years yet. Not so many years. Thorn, has he... His voice was a tortured whisper. Has he ever touched you? Answer me. Those sleigh rides, has he ever... She turned grave eyes upon him. Is it any business of yours, Richard, if he has? And then, because she could see the wound she had given him, she added quickly. He hasn't, though. He's been very nice. Thorn, do you actually mean you could love my brother? Tell me the truth. If you think you could, then I'll never say another word upon the subject, but please be honest with me. She was lost in thought for a moment, and then she spoke quietly, as though telling a thing long past. When your wife died, Richard, I was so sorry. I couldn't understand why. Now I know it was because I was afraid you would marry Judith. He started to speak, but she went on. And then Judith went away. And all that long summer, I had you to myself. I decided my fears were imaginary. That summer was the first time I dreamed about what it would be like to love a man. The way Nancy talks about it. And of course, the man was you. I couldn't imagine loving anyone else. I'm afraid I never shall. The thickness in his throat would not let him speak. Then that day we went to Terhout, and you told us Judith was going to be your wife. She paused, as though reliving the darkest hour of her short life. I wanted to die, but I couldn't. I wanted to run away. There was just no place to go. And then your mother was so kind. I believe she understood. Will's not bad either. Only sulky sometimes. I was surprised and rather flattered. When he asked me to marry him, I thought, if I marry Will... I'll always have a home close to Richard. So I said yes. A sound like a sob came from the man beside her. There was nothing now for Richard to say. But there was more for Thorne to say. That was before I knew you loved me. Before I had told you how I felt about you. Now that we have told each other, it wouldn't be right for me to marry Will. It would be monstrous, muttered Richard. She agreed. It wouldn't be right for me to marry anyone around here. That's why I think I should go away. To her surprise, he said, Yes, I think you should. And I'll go with you. She looked at him incredulously. You mean you would? I mean, I will. He was suddenly alive with energy and purpose. There's nothing to hold me here. The children have belonged to mother since they were born. Will has always been the best farmer in the family. I'll never be missed. Thorne said, There's Judith. He reddened. We're nothing to each other anymore. 
She sat looking at him, lost in wonder and heartache, unbearably sweet. She would have this for a memory always. But of course, I can't let you do it, she said. What do you mean you can't let me? I won't let you ruin your life. That's what you'd do if you ran off from your wife and family with a girl. Most people think it's a witch. You'd be eternally damned by our neighbors. If not, by God. They argued heatedly. He pleaded with all the eloquence he possessed, but in vain. Thorne proved to have unsuspected rigidity of principle, on one subject at least. She was opposed to any course which would bring disgrace upon Richard. In the end, they compromised. She would remain at Timberley for the present, if for no other reason than to keep Richard from leaving his family. As for the pledge she had made to Will, time could take care of that. Stay tuned to the end of the show for a preview to next week's episode. Hey everyone, I'm Valerie Moss, and I'm the narrator for this mystery book, Project EF, as well as producer and director. You can find me at ValerieMoss.ca and check out my podcast, Valerie's Variety Podcast. The show is about eating, reading, and creating. I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Here's the cast of characters for today's show. Hi, my name is Carol Sin. I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. I will be the voice of Miss Ann Tomlinson. You can find me at carolsin.wordpress.com. You can also find me on YouTube and Instagram as Carol Sin. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yes. With your hosts, James Seabrook. Editing, mixing, and additional voices by James Seabrook at Two Bodies of Water Productions. Follow our hosts on Twitter at Two Bodies of Water. Got that mic in a comfortable spot yet? I'm still working on it. Hi, my name is Kylie and I'm playing the role of Judith. You can find me in my new podcast called Cryptic Soup, streaming now. You can also connect with me on my website, kingmarketingbykylie.com and on my Instagram at kmorgan with two A's. Hello, my name is Linda Moss, and I was on my mom's podcast, Valerie's Variety Podcast. We did a few episodes together of London and Mum. Anyway, I did Thorn, aka Cricket, on Project DF, not known as I'm not telling the real name. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you like listening. Bye. Hey, everybody. My name is Rafe Telsch. I'm from Roanoke, Virginia, in the United States. And I am the voice of Richard Tomlinson. You can find me on the podcast, Have Not Seen This. Music for this show is by Text Me Records and Leviath, called The Black Cat. 
Cover art image by Danny Muller. Podcast trailer and cover art designed by me, Valerie Moss. Here's a preview for next week's show. Call Richard! Gasped Judith. He's already gone to the field. Ring the bell! That will call all the men from their work. Her retort was quoted far and wide. No bricks have fallen in the house. If they had, I'd have used them to disperse this crowd. Witches, ghosts, goblins, all sorts of queerness. And ugly tales about a half-grown girl who used to make flowers bloom in midair and pull rabbits out of hats. Disclaimer. Margaret Eckhard is the author of this book. The audio drama is based off of. Copyright 1941 by Doubleday Publishing House, now owned by Penguin Random House, who only supports current authors, who checked all available resources and directories for literary rights agents and contacts, and found nothing. We tried to track down errors of Eckhart's, but to no avail. We reached out to the Indiana Library, who houses the largest amount of articles of Margaret Eckhart. They provided us with a renewal ID, r 57 9915, and had consulted directories for her heirs and contacts. However, found nothing beyond Doubleday Publishing House, which was a dead end. We searched extensively for the copyright holders of this book to get permission to make the audio drama, but were unable to find them. And if anyone has any information about the copyright for the book or the rights holders, please reach out to me.